Good to have you all with us this morning. 1 John chapter 4 from verse 7 through verse 19 this morning. 1 John 4 verse 7 through verse 19. We are going to talk this morning about the wonders of his love. And this is such, again, a, a needed message, especially in the days in which we live. The Bible tells us that leading up to the time of the return of Christ, that the world will become increasingly colder and colder. And we see so much hatred out there being displayed in the world today. And the Bible predicts this. So how do you and I stay in touch, stay grounded in the love of God. I mean, Paul even talks to the Ephesians about that, to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. How do we stay rooted and grounded in the love of God and continue to be loving people ourselves, even though we may be throughout the week, whether it be at school, at work, in our neighborhoods, even maybe amongst our own family, in a very unloving environment? How, how can we navigate this? I want to look at three things this morning from this passage. I want to look at the exclamation of God's love and then the expression of God's love and then finally the experience of God's love. And I want to begin looking at the exclamation of God's love actually in verse 9, 10, and 13. Would you look at those verses with me? John writes, by this, the love of God is revealed in us. That God, God the Father, sent his one and only Son into this world so that we may live through him. Verse 10, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 13, by this we know that we reside in God and he in us in that he has given us of his spirit. John, amongst the New Testament writers, is maybe the most Trinitarian. You'll notice in these verses he mentions God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit here. And you and I could spend the rest of eternity, and we will, I think, talking about and considering all the ways that God loves us and has loved us and demonstrated that love to us. And here this morning, I just want to pick out what John did, just one aspect, just one aspect of each of their love for us. And, and John is saying, look, when, when I say God loves you, I'm not just talking about Jesus or I'm not just talking about the Father or the Spirit. I'm talking about all of them. In their own way, they have demonstrated or our demonstrating their love for us each and every day. Now again, this is not exhaustive. This is just pulling one thing out. So I want us to consider that. And yet even if all the Father, the Son, and the Spirit ever did was what John mentions here, we would be so overwhelmingly loved by God. Amen. That's why I say that this talks about the exclamation, if you will, 
of God's love. Let's first consider the Father. Notice he says in verse 9, God the Father demonstrated his great love for us in that he sent his one and only Son to die for us so that we might live through Jesus. We don't, I think even as Christians, take time to pause to think about that. You know, we think about maybe the love for Jesus for us, but what about the Father? Somehow, many times, I think Christians get the, the uh, wrong uh, thought that somehow the Father has to be talked into loving us, you know? That Jesus is up there trying to convince the Father to love us. No. John says, the Father's always loved us as much as the Son and as much as the Holy Spirit. And here's how much the Father loves you and me. He sent the most precious person to this earth to suffer all the abuse that he suffered, all the rejection that he suffered, to suffer physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He was willing to give up his son for us, even while we were sinners and wanted nothing to do with God and did not even acknowledge God in our life. Let me ask you a question to even try to begin to compare, if you will, even though there is no comparison. Who's the most precious person to you on earth? And once you identify that person, would you willingly just hand them over to people that were going to treat them so cruelly? And yet God the Father did that. God the Father knew exactly how his son was going to be treated when he came to earth, and yet he said, I love these folks so much that I am willing to let go of my own son that is so precious to me, who doesn't deserve to be treated this way in any way, and yet I'm going to give him up for them. That's how much the Father loves you and me. Then, in verse 10, he mentions the Son. And he said, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice. How does Jesus demonstrate his love? Well, one way is Jesus was willing to be obedient even to the point of death, as Paul says to the Philippians, and went to that cross. The one who knew no sin the perfect, sinless Son of God who did not deserve any of this was willing to take on our sin and suffer in our place and appease the wrath of a holy God and take upon himself our punishment as our substitute on the cross. That's love, my friends. That's love. And John doesn't want us to ever forget about that love that if we ever for one moment of any day of our life on earth begin to think that somehow we are unloved or that God does not love us, he says begin to consider the fact that the Father sent his Son and that the Son was willing to go to the cross. But it doesn't end there. In verse 13, John says, and you know that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit demonstrates his love for us in that he resides in us. He says, and we know that we reside in God and he in us in that he has given us of us the spirit who literally indwells each of us as believers in Jesus Christ and lives with us 
every moment of every day and every second we will be alive on this earth. Can I tell you, I wouldn't even want to be around me all the time. And now think about it. God, the Holy Spirit, is willing to hang out with us all the time. There are times during the day it's like, I don't even like myself. I, I know that I'm not in a good place, and it's like I wish I could separate myself from myself and walk away. The Holy Spirit of God literally says, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And think about this. Talk about love. He's not just there with us indwelling us again when we're doing the right thing and when we're, you know, acting good and doing all that. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us when we do the most awful things, when we say the most cruel, hateful things. The Holy Spirit doesn't get up and go, oh, I'm sorry, I can't love you anymore because it's just too bad, and leaves us, no, the Holy Spirit literally lives inside of you and I every day through each and everything, good and bad, he's there. That's love. Amen. That's love. And so John wants us to begin by reminding us of just how much God loves us, because here's the key. So many people today in this world feel unloved. And maybe you even walked into this auditorium this morning not feeling very loved. And that might be one of the reasons why your life looks the way it does. Because one of the great truths that John wants to teach us in this passage is that before you and I can truly respond to others in love and even respond to God in love, you and I first have to open up our hearts to the truth that God chooses unconditionally to love me. And that, as we've heard others say here already, nothing, that's what the Bible says, not Jeff Royce, the Bible says nothing can ever separate us from that love. Paul said, I want you to consider, Roman Christians, in Romans chapter 8, that neither life nor death, nor height nor depth, nor things present nor things to come, nor anything else in all of creation can ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. You and I are loved and we are loved not because maybe we're always so lovable, but simply because God has chosen to, in a sense, turn his love towards us unconditionally and say, I love you, I always will love you, I will never stop loving you, and I want you to live in the reality of my love for all of eternity. Amen. Is our heart open to that love? See, even as Christians, because this is why John is teaching us here these things. Because a Christian can open up their heart enough to receive the love that God has for them 
through Jesus Christ as Savior and become a child of God, but live the rest of their Christian life with their heart pretty much closed off to God wanting to continue to love them. So that, in a sense, what I'm describing is that then Christians will be very stunted, if you will, in our growth. We will never grow in love. We will never grow in our understanding and apprehension or a comprehension of God's love for us. It'll stay at a, a very low level, just enough to get us saved, and that's it. And we certainly won't ever grow into truly loving others as God loves us because our heart opened up enough to, in a sense, get saved, but we never really opened up the rest of our heart or our whole heart to how much God loves us. So that's why, then, we move in this passage from the exclamation of God's love to the expression of God's love. And I want you to see that in verses 7, 8, and 11. Notice in verse 7, he says, dear friends. By the way, that's the word in the Greek language, beloved. In other words, John is saying, even as he begins, you realize how much you are loved? Not only by God, but by John. John says, I love you, dear friends. Let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves has been fathered by God, relationship, and notice, and knows God, fellowship. See that? John differentiates between one who knows God in a relational way and one who really knows God because that word he's using there speaks about an experiential knowledge, one that is only gained by the experience of interacting and staying close and connecting to something or someone. So John bases our loving others on not only being fathered by God but continuing to know God in fellowship. Notice he goes on to say in verse 8, the person who does not love, not that they've never been fathered by God, but they don't know God. See, he's talking here not to unbelievers, folks. He's talking to children of God. He's talking to Christians. He's saying it is possible to have received God's love and become a Christian and yet live much of our life, if not most of our life or even some of our life, tragically, not loving. Because why? Because we're not in fellowship with God. We're not experientially knowing God because it's only through fellowship and experiential knowledge of God that I can truly begin to acknowledge and appreciate and recognize and ascertain and all of that, the love that God really has for me, which then enables me, you and I, to be loving people, not only loving him as we should, but loving each other. And can I stop and say, two weeks from our start of our worship series, that's why in many of our churches today and in even many of our lives as Christian individuals, worship is such a, a struggle and 
And, and it's something that's either a pretend thing, like where Christians come and just sort of pretend to show up on Sunday and get all excited about God, but it's only because everybody else is doing it. And when, It's not something that comes from the heart. And the reason why worship can be such a struggle for churches and for individual Christians is because it has to start with the realization and reception of God's love for me. I can't pour out my love for God until I really begin to receive his love for me. That reception response type thing. And then notice what John says in verse 11. Again, dear friends, beloved, if God so loved us, we also then ought to love one another. Notice, John is saying, the only way I can really start learning to love others the way I should is by first realizing the love that God has for me. I cannot love others out of an empty love tank, if you will, and the only one in the universe that can really fill up that tank is God, which again is why many Christians struggle here, because we look to other human beings other mere mortals, mere flesh and blood to fill up our love tank in order to enable us to be a loving person instead of looking to God. And it's only God that can fill us up with his love. Amen. Then when we are receiving his love and we are filling up in his love, then in a sense, the love that we receive from others, as we used to, that's just gravy. That's just icing. But we don't live off of the love of others. We live off of the love of God. Amen. And that's why he says, if God so loved, not just loved, he said so loved. Doesn't that remind you of John 3, 16? For God not loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see it. Do we realize how so loved we are? And he says, when you and I begin to realize how so loved we are by God, then we will begin to love others that way. Because again, the other thing that John wants to point out is you and I can't love others the way God loves us unless we're in fellowship with God because it's something supernatural. Some of you, wait a minute. Don't, don't human beings that don't even know God, can't they exhibit love to one another? Yeah. But it's a love that can only go so far. It's a love that has limits and limitations. You see, you and I as human beings, apart from God, can we experience love and share love with other human beings? Yes, but the kind of love that John is talking about here, the kind of love that is God's goal for us is that we would receive his agape unconditional, supernatural love for us, and that in turn, we would be instruments on this earth, not just of a, of a eros love that many in the world can express to others, not just a phileo love, a, a friendly kind of love, but that we would demonstrate God's like love, an agape love. And the only people in the world that are capable, not that we do it all the time, but the only people even capable of demonstrating and expressing that depth of love, that supernatural kind of love, are those that have been fathered by God and knows God. Amen. See, apart from that, can't do it. Can't do it. 
There will come a point where our love runs out, which is why, again, so many relationships, so many marriages, so many friendships and stuff don't last. They can't be sustained because they're not built on agape love. They are built on something far less. And there will come a point in any relationship where that love is going to be tested and that love that's less than agape is going to run out because there's limits. There's limits to what you and I can do humanly, but there is no limit to God's love. Any more than, like I said, the Holy Spirit, if his love had limits on Jeff Royce, he'd have cut and run a long time ago, can I just tell you? He wouldn't have lasted 57, almost 58 years now with this guy. He'd have been gone. But that's God's love. Because it's not based on me and how wonderful I am and whether I'm always doing the right thing or whatever. It's locked in. Nothing ever separates us. So if you and I are going to be people who express love, we've got to realize something. I cannot express God-like love to others unless I'm in touch with God and in fellowship with him and receiving the supernatural help that I need to be able to love on that level. But I also can't love others the way God loves me if I'm not receiving his love. You see? Because before I can give it, I got to receive it. I got to open up my heart and let him just pour his love in me. Now, here's the crazy thing. Do you realize that God has already poured out his love into your life if you're a Christian? It's not a matter of you and I don't have that love or that somehow now we need to, throughout our Christian life, come to a, some kind of experience with God after I'm saved in order to realize how much God loves me. No, no. It's already there. It's just a matter of, again, fellowship with God and realizing what I already have. That's why it's, in a sense, so sad and tragic when Christians don't live in fellowship or stay close to God throughout their Christian life because what they have indwelling them all their life, they don't even know. It, take it this way. You know, we live in a world of superheroes and people with superpowers and stuff. It would be like a superhero having some kind of superpower, and they're capable of doing something, but they never use it because they don't even know they've got it. You know, some superheroes say that can fly, you know. It's like, well, you've got that, but you never, you never even knew that you could do that. So, so many Christians, they don't realize I have all the love that God will ever pour out into my life. I've already got it in me. And, and all that I need to love others the way God loves me, it's already there. It's not a matter of asking God, because here's what the Bible says. Romans 5.5, 5, God poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See what Paul's telling the Romans? You have the Holy Spirit? Yep, then you've got all the love you need. And you've got all the capacity to be able to love others through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And again, he's never going to leave you. So, the, so you and I never have to pray, God, give me more love for that person, even though we do. <laughs> when we're tried and tested and we're coming to the end, we, we don't, no. It's already there. God has already literally poured out 
waterfall, his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. But when a Christian is not in tune with the Holy Spirit, when a Christian is not in fellowship with God, we can begin to feel unloved by God. We can begin to struggle in loving God and loving others, and all of these things become absolutely impossible for the Christian who does not stay in fellowship with God. Which is why then I'd like to take us on down to verse 16 to the ex experience of God's love. Notice this amazing verse in 1 John 4, 16. And we come to know and believe in the love that God has in us. Now, a couple things. First of all, notice he starts out that verse by not claiming that we automatically know. Did you notice that? He doesn't say every born-again Christian automatically knows the love of God. No. He says, and we come to know and believe. How does that happen? Fellowship. The only way you and I come to know and believe the love that God has, and notice he doesn't say for us. Notice what he says in verse 16, the love that God has where? In us. It's already there. But again, I won't know what I already have if I don't start fellowshipping with God and living hand in hand with God every day. I can, begin a, I can be a born-again believer, have my sins forgiven, know God loves me that way, on my way to heaven and all of that, but miss so much more of what God wants me to experience if I never learn to live in fellowship with God because I never really come to know and believe in the love that he has for me. I never open up my heart and truly let his love become real to me, something that I live out of and live with every day of my life. And notice he goes on to say that God is love. Verse 16, the one who resides in love, what's the word reside? Fellowship, stay close, stay connected. The one who resides in love resides in God, and God resides in him. So notice here, he's saying a Christian cannot be in fellowship with God if they're unloving. It's impossible, because God's love. And anything that's going to get close to God has got to be loved and be loving. It doesn't mean we can't have a relationship with God. Many Christians do. But when you and I live unloving lives, maybe because we feel unloved, because we've never truly received God's love, then we can't reside in God. Because they're mutually exclusive, John says. The one who resides in love and is a loving person who expresses love to others and to God, that's the person that resides in God. Then notice what he says in verse 17. By this, by what? By fellowship, by residing, love is perfected with us. It doesn't mean you and I will love perfectly or live perfectly. That word perfectly means to reach maturity. So notice what John is saying. 
by fellowshipping with God, by residing in love and residing in God and staying close to God, my love will reach maturity. I will become a mature believer because I will be able to love others in a mature way, not a childlike way. You know, what, what's, you know, children are so cute, but children can be so selfish, right? So self-absorbed children. It's all about me. We have to learn as we grow and mature, and then we have to be taught by others to not be that way because that is living an unloving way, that to live for others and to live selflessly and sacrificially, that's love, not making it about us. And can I say that's one of the problems with, I think, the church today? Because so many churches want to focus on churches about you. No, it's not. God forbid the church ever be about us. Church is about God. Church is about engaging with God. Church is about understanding God and comprehending God and receiving his love and getting in touch with God. That's what church is about. And that's why we struggle so as the church today. And we do not have the power of God in our midst anymore because we've made even church about us rather than about him. John says, by this, love is perfected with us. So that, notice he goes on to say in verse 17, we may have confidence in the day of judgment because just as Jesus is, so are we in this world. I'll come back to that, but I want to finish out verse 18 where he goes on to say, there is no fear in love. Because perfect love drives out fear. In other words, a love that has matured, a love that has come along and grown, understands that there cannot be fear and love. Again, just like fellowship and, and love has to coexist, fear and love are mutually exclusive. He says, perfect love drives out fear. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment. And he says, the one who continues to fear punishment has not been perfected or matured in love. You see, John is saying, I'm, he's building a case here, if you will, for not only being one that will receive God's love, because that's where it all starts, but also to realize the importance, in fact, the necessity that is absolutely essential that we not only live in relationship with God, but that we live in fellowship with God because it's only then can our love for God and our love for others and even our love for ourselves grow and mature to a point that is healthy. Otherwise, we will live in a very unhealthy spiritual state all of our life and we will be a people that can not only not receive God's love but cannot give God's love to anybody including ourselves and John says when you and I truly experience the love of God again John's just going to pull one thing out to illustrate it just like he did with the Trinity the Father Son. he said I'll, I'll give you one result if you will of a Christian 
whose love is being perfected and growing and maturing in God. You know what that is, he said? Fearless confidence. Fearless Because he not only talks about confidence in the day of judgment, but you notice in previous message, he's talked about being able to live confidently here and now. So it's not just about looking ahead and being confident when we stand before Jesus one day. It's about even being confident now. He's saying, when you stand in love and you bathe yourself in the love that God has for you, you will become a confident Christian. But he also says in verse 18, you will become a fearless Christian. And again, a Christian is not just looking ahead to the, the day of judgment, if you will, the day of accountability and fearing what might happen there because the Bible clearly says there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You and I, if we truly understand the love of God, know we're not going to be punished. We're not going to be condemned because Jesus, out of his love for us, took all of that on himself. We never have to fear that. But I want to take it a step further to apply this. John doesn't take the time to do that because that wasn't his purpose here, but I will today. When you and I are perfected in love, when we truly understand and begin to understand the love that God has for us, fear will no longer be a part of our life. Amen. Fear will no longer be a part of our life. Now, let me ask you, because you, many of you that know me know that I struggled with that for many years. And people ask me sometimes, well, what was the key to you overcoming your fear, your anxiety, your, your stress, all of that? And I tell people, it was my spiritual growth. It was growing and continuing to grow and let God's love, in a sense, be perfected in me. Now, I'm far from where I need to be. I still have a lot of growth, but I'm telling you, I grew out of it. There was no magic formula. There was no experience at just one day. No, I grew out of it. Just as a child grows out of certain behaviors and certain things and moves on into maturity and adulthood, that's what God wants to see in his children. But that can't happen apart from fellowship with God. And again, we live in a world today, even amongst Christians, where we want the quick fix. We want, give me, the, give me the magic pill, let me swallow it, and everything's better. And the Bible says, no. It's just through doing what I know I need to do every day. As John said earlier, it is practicing righteousness. Practicing righteousness. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. I believe that's chapter 3, verse 7 of 1 John. Correct me later if I'm not right. Because my memory is not what it used to be. Fear. If you're here today, I just want to challenge you in a loving way. Only because I, I want you to see me as an encouragement, if you will. That I can stand before you today and tell you, I have overcome fear in my life. Not because I'm special. Not because I did something. You know, it's because the love of God had finally come to a place of maturity where I realized God loves me. Why, why am I afraid of anything? 
Why am I fearful of anything? I don't care what it is. God loves me, and nothing can ever separate me from the love of God. And there was such a realization that comes upon us as Christians when we get to that point of how much God loves us and how much he's already shown us he loves us and how much he's going to show us he loves us throughout eternity that why do I even fear anything? Let go of fear and let the love of God become so entrenched in your life that fear is just gone gone and I can give you personal testimony it will happen because if I can do it anybody can do it <laughs> or I'll say it this way if God can do it in my life he can do it in anybody's life and some of you may have come here today not only feeling unloved but filled with fear let God's love that he's already poured out inside of you let that begin to bubble up and begin to open up your heart to that love that's already there. And I guarantee you, the fears will start to just dissipate and disappear. Because God's love conquers all of that. See, my Bible tells me and teaches me as it teaches all of us, God's love's all we need. Once you and I have truly, truly received the love of God, we're good. And then it's just a matter of continuing to fellowship with God and knowing the love that God has for me more and more and more every day and building on that. And just building on that to enable me to just give my love back to God for the love that he's poured out in my life and also then to begin to love others around me the way that I should and the way that I can, not in my own strength and power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within me. Would you open yourself up to the love that God has for you today? Could we stand and pray? Lord, I pray today that all of us here today would have a, a renewed realization of your love for us, God. That we truly have opened up our eyes and opened up our ears and opened up our hearts and our minds to the great love that you have for us. To know, God, that we are so loved by you. That we couldn't be more loved. That we'll never stop being loved that there will never come a time where we are unloved by you, that you can never love us more than you do right now and never love us any less than you do right now. And God, I just pray that your love would just not only flow into us, but flow through us, that we, the Oasis Church, would take on the challenge of being a church that love is building because God is building it. And God is not only building a church where we love you, God, but a church where we love each other. Dear friends, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. God, help us to love you. Help us to respond to you in love right now. And help us to be a people that responds to one another 
in love too. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.